Let's pray and then we'll get into our text for this morning. Father, we are grateful to be here in this place to worship you, to sing praises to your name, to have sweet fellowship with one another. We're thankful for the forgiveness we have in Christ and all sufficient grace and grace upon grace. We're thankful that we can gather together and having a biblical worldview, we can look at some of your creatures and marvel and praise you because of what you have done. These are no accidents. There is no randomness about these creatures. They were specifically designed and fearfully and wonderfully made. And Father, you did it so that we could see your glory so that we could be blessed. And I pray today as we look into your word to see how some of these creatures bless us, that we would, in fact, leave here praising you and remembering that these creatures are all signs pointing to you that we might live for your glory and praise your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis and chap the first week, the first chapter, and um, we're seeing different aspects of the creation days. Uh, the first three days of creation, we saw God was kind of laying out the major spheres of uh, of creation. Uh, he was laying out the spheres or habitats that he would put creatures in. And so day one kind of corresponds to day four, day two, day five, and day three, day six. So God first creates space in day one, and that corresponds to day four, where he fills space with stars and planets and nebulae and comets and all that stuff. And then he, um, uh, on the second day, um, he creates the oceans and the atmosphere. And then he, on day five, creates the birds and the fish to fill up the seas and the atmosphere. Then on day three, God made the dry land appear and created plants. And now on day six, which corresponds to that, he is going to fill the dry land with creatures. Uh, man is going to be one of those creatures, but there is a host of others. We're going to save man for the weeks to come and go slow through there as uh, mankind is really the, the, the climax of God's creation. Uh, this morning, we want to look at um, really uh, three different categories of creatures uh, that uh, God mentions in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read these two verses uh, where God says, then that God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. From our text, I'm going to show you three different things God created uh, at the beginning part of the sixth day so you can better appreciate what God did, why he did it, and give him glory because of it. And before we look at that, there's just a few things I want to mention by way of introduction. First, there's three ca categories here, cattle, creeping things, and beasts uh, that appear in verse 24. And those three categories again appear in verse 25, other places in scriptures, they appear. Uh, and I want you to notice that humans are not included. This is critical. We're, we are not animals. 
We are not animals. Though evolutionists loudly declare that people are nothing but animals, God says otherwise and God is right. Reducing people, lowering people to the status of animal really raises animals to the status of human beings created in the image of God. Thus, we have animal rights groups lobbying for the rights of animals as if they were people. We are fine letting babies be killed at their mother's womb, but are outraged when somebody kills a whale or a dog is mistreated. You can kill babies, but you can't kill crows in Burbank. That's how it is. And once people get the idea into their, their head that they are animals, they begin to behave like it. Morals disappear. Right and wrong disappear. Immorality, killing, murdering, thieving, hating. The survival of the fittest mindset sets in where, listen, I'm going to gouge you if I can. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cheat you. Um, you know, my business is about surviving. And if I have to run over you and swindle you and con you, that's what I'm going to do. Ask the average professing Christian who they are and why they exist. They can't tell you. They don't know. They don't know why they exist. They don't know that they are creatures created in the image of God to love the Lord God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and give Him glory in all they do. They think their purpose of life is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness rather than the glory of God. God made each animal, uh, uh, secondly, I, just to reproduce after its kind. The phrase appears five times. You can hardly miss it in those two verses. We've talked about it before, and I just want to bring it up again and address it from a little bit of a different angle. Evolution says that animals not only produce after that kind, but after a time produce another kind. So you've got a cat producing other cats, and eventually a dog pops out. Not after their kind. The Bible says they only produce after their kind. Of course, evolutionists say that mutation is the mechanism for evolution or some sort of survival of the fittest. Which, of course, when looked under under scrutiny, um, those things cannot be the mechanism. Chance, accidents, and time cannot produce organized information, make improvements in DNA of the creature so that they did everything else they did before and something else better. It never happens. There are too many creatures that have what is called irreducible complexity. Now, you may not have heard that term. But what that describes is, is there are a lot of creatures, single-celled animals, that are so simple... You cannot reduce them without the creature not working. So there's no way they could have evolved. And if I lost you with the irreducible complexity term, let me just illustrate it. Most of us know what a mousetrap is. You can get them at any grocery store, any hardware store, any home improvement store. Um, they've been around for a long time. R- Ralph Waldo Emerson said, if a man has, a good, has good corn or wood, or boards, or pigs to sell, or can make a better chair, or knives, or crucibles, or church organs than anybody else, you will find a broad, hard-beaten road to his house, though he be in the woods, end quote. Somebody applied that to the mousetrap, because seven years after Emerson died, somebody invented the mousetrap. It's the same design that was around in 18, 
89. The mousetrap has what is called irreducible complexity. Now, when you think about it, there's not much in a mousetrap. You've got this little, little plank of wood, a trigger arm that folds over the striker bar. There is a spring that winds itself around the striker bar. And in the middle of that spring, there is a little uh, uh, bait trip or plate uh, that the the trigger arm connects into. And then you have three staples that uh, one on each side of the spring on the striker bar and one through the hole in the middle of the trigger arm. So there's eight pieces in a mousetrap. It's about one of the, the simplest mechanical device that you can find out there. Now, the mousetrap only works if all eight of those pieces are in place. You remove any one of those pieces, it, it can't work. It has irreducible complexity. Now, there are a lot of creatures out there that God made that way. They are irreducibly complex. In other words, they need every single piece to function. This is a, a huge problem with evolution. Because evolution says all those pieces develop a little by little. Yet if you take one piece away, nothing functions, nothing works. They, it only works when all the pieces are together. They're irreducible in their complexity. Animals supposedly evolve upward. Their DNA supposedly improves Organized information is added by accident so that the creature does everything it did before and something else better. Like your car. We all know that when we buy a car, it's brand new and it's great when we first get it. But five years from them, it's better than it was. After 10 years, things start popping into our car like a brand new GPS. It just appears. No, that never happens. Things go down. The second law of thermodynamics and entropy says that things decay. They don't get better. They get worse. You say, well, the only way for a GPS to show up is some intelligent person would have to add information to the system and put energy into the system and parts into the system. Exactly. Now think of a mousetrap, which is many thousands, if not millions of times simpler than a single cell. A cell is so amazing that it has this kind of outer sack. And inside there is DNA and little DNA folders and little DNA producers and little machines, little biomechanical devices, a whole bunch of them. They're all microscopic. And in order for that single cell to function, every one of those pieces must be in place in the cell or it won't work. Now, I want you to think about a cell. Just put that in the back of your mind and kind of now talk about the very simple mousetrap. Very simple. First, you would need to have wood evolve by itself, by accident, and accidentally carve itself into a nice, thin, rectangular plate of wood. The trigger arm would also have to evolve with no purpose and no intelligence by accident and curl itself at one end. The striker bar would also have to evolve with no purpose 
and would have to bend itself into the shape of a rectangle, the same as the just the the interior dimensions of half of the plank of wood. With no purpose, each in just the right shape, just the right size, and just the right configuration. They wouldn't have a function. Because by themselves they have no function. But for millions of years they would keep reproducing. With no purpose. Eventually, all the eight pieces would be evolved by accidents. With no intelligence and no purpose. And one day they would accidentally assemble themselves. Now, if you're a thinking person, this is mental suicide. The eight pieces of a mousetrap, which is about as simple a mechanical device that you can get, it's not even living, could not accidentally assemble itself. The spring is not going to wind itself around the striker bar after it made itself and wind itself around the striker bar that just has to be, happens to be bent in a rectangular shape and the trigger plate just happens to be in the middle of the spring. And then two of the staples just happen to pound themselves in on each side of the spring to hold the striker bar down and another staple just happens to thrust itself down through the hole of the trigger arm which just happens to be sitting in the right place so that they can hold it there so it can fit over the top of the bar. And some bait would just have to tie itself or fasten itself to the striker plate against the laws of physics. The the spring would have to be bent backwards and the trigger arm bent forward so that everything was adjusted just right by accident. And then, and only then, could all of those parts have a function and work. The chances of a mousetrap coming about by accident is zero. It is impossible. So why do we think that a cell, which is thousands if not millions of times more complex, could happen by chance? It cannot happen. It won't happen. It has never happened. It's a lie. It's a lie. Now, the reasons it can happen are just stated in the text five times. Creatures produce after their kind. They're created by God and they produce after their kind. Cats produce cats. Dogs produce dogs. And cats never produce dogs. And dogs never produce pigs. They only produce after their kind. It's stated over and over and over again. Evolution is a hopeful delusion and impossibility believed in by those who don't want God ruling over their life. Okay, to our text. God created the cattle. Now, you may be thinking this morning, well, this is going to be a quick sermon. Because after all, cattle, creeping things, and beasts, man, we'll be out of here in five minutes. Not in your life. We're going to apply Proverbs 2, 1 through 6 to the passage. The verb tense here indicates that God is causing the earth to bring forth living creatures after their kind. 
This first statement is general. It's not specific. It just says he does living creatures. And we learned that this word is that word, same word nephesh. It is sometimes translated soul or spirit. But really it means living being or living entity. It doesn't relate to plants but it relates to fish, birds, animals and people. Two weeks ago, we learned uh, this term, and it's used again here. Notice that they are brought forth from the earth. Just as man was created out of the dust of the earth, so the earth provided the raw materials that God fashioned all the animals with. Genesis 2, 19 affirms this, saying, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Look at the middle of verse 24, where we see the first specific thing God created was cattle. We are told the same thing in the middle of verse 25, and the cattle after their kind. In fact, everything we are told God created uh, on the sixth day is repeated twice, with the exception of man, who is discussed in great length, both in chapter 1 and then all the way through chapter 2 and the rest of the Bible. The word cattle is sometimes, but not very often, just used of large animals in general. We're going to see this uh, when uh, we look at Job in a bit. Uh, But it's the word behemoth. Um, But here, in this context, it's referring to domesticated animals. That is, those animals that um, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 2 and 3 says, chew their cud and have a split hoof. This would include animals like cows, yaks, sheep, and goats. Um, it might also include things like buffalo and giraffe, which also have a split hoof and um, and chew their cud. But I don't know if you are, can domesticate buffaloes that well, and certainly giraffe would be hard to rope. I was just thinking about what if you had some cowboys in an arena and let a you know had giraffe roping. Could you imagine trying to get the hoop up there that high? It would be very fun to watch, wouldn't it? Well, God, knowing the needs of man, I mean, God knows everything. So when he creates, and we've seen this all through his creation, that God just doesn't create randomly for no purpose. He has purpose, amazing purpose. And things we can't even understand, things we don't even know yet, he creates with purpose. He has design and he's creating things so that men will be blessed and he will receive the glory. Now, If you've lived in the city all your life, you may think that steaks come from restaurants or styrofoam trays at the grocery store. But I have news for you. When you purchase one of those, you're paying somebody to kill your animal for you. And then you're eating it. It may never cross your mind that that belt you're wearing, the shoes you're wearing, the purse you're wearing, or holding, or the wallet in your pocket... Or the cover on your Bible, or the cover of the seats of your car, or the ice cream you had last night, or the cream you put in your coffee, the butter you put on your toast this morning came from cattle, domesticated animals. Most animal lovers are very hypocritical. They don't like it when others kill animals, but they pay to have others kill animals for them. They wear leather. They use a lot of cosmetics and things that come from animals believe me many animals have given their life so you could be blessed many and some people just like killing their own rather than hiring assassins (laughs) 
One of the unique things about cattle is their digestive system. Cows, for instance, have uh, this four-chambered. Any animal that, that chews its cut has this four-chambered um, stomach, which is very fascinating. The first chamber is like uh, of a cow holds about 55 gallons, like a 55-gallon trash can inside the, the cow. And they just eat. You know, cows just eat bushes and grass and just dried stubble. They just eat stuff. You know, you're thinking, man, who could ever survive off of that? They could eat stuff that's really um, high in cellulose, which we can't even digest. We can't even digest it, but cows can. They have this amazingly designed stomach system. And the first, it goes in and, and water and these digestive enzymes begin to attack and along with bacteria begin to break down this coarse scrub, brush and hay and grass and things like that. And then after it's in there a while, it passes into a second stomach this is second chamber and uh, the second chamber is where most of the water goes cows drink about 30 to 50 gallons of water a day and uh, it bypasses i don't know how they tell it yes swallowed down this tract i don't know but anyways it goes into the second chamber rather than the first and there it mixes with more enzymes and the food is then churned because that stomach is like a big muscle and it works it needs all of this scrub brush and it forms these little balls which are called cud and the 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 cud is regurgitated by the cows who for six to eight hours a day chew their food a second time, breaking it down into smaller pieces. They then swallow it again. It goes down this time into the second chamber. And I don't know how they can tell which chamber to send it to, but they can. It goes into the second chamber and there it is refiltered. And any big pieces are added to the cud again to be chewed a third time if necessary. The little pieces go on to the third chamber, which has acids similar to our stomach. It breaks it down. The sugars and nutrients are released and go into the bloodstream of the cow. That is amazing. That is amazing. And then we get ribeye steaks. (laughs) Ice cream and cheese on our pizzas. You know, that's what comes out of scrub brush. I mean, think about it. Scrub brush, cheese. Scrub brush, ribeye steak. I mean, it just doesn't even compute, but it works that way. It works that way. And then what's really amazing is uh, one milk cow produces 5,000 quarts of milk in a year. That's a lot of milk. Every cow also produces 10 tons of manure, which is used to fertilize plants that we also eat. Cattle are very versatile. You can have cattle survive in very cold climates in the northern part of Canada down to the southern hot, arid deserts. And when a cow is killed, virtually every part of it can be used. The meat, the hooves, the hide, the bones, and all the rest of the soft parts are all ground up into hot dogs. (laughs) You don't want to think about it. They put pink on it to make it look good. And then we eat them and go, man, that's a good hot dog. 
And all the guys at the meat packing plant are like, we got them to even eat that part, um, which is unmentionable. Sheep are another very useful animal, and they're similar to cattle, and they pretty much produce all the same things as cattle produce. But there's two things that sheep produce that cattle don't, which are very um, helpful and uh, a great blessing. Of course, sheep, they can eat the most pathetic food sources. You can be in a high mountain range that's just rocky with like lichen and little like nothing grass and they can go in there and they'll find something to eat they, they eat like nothing they eat just like dried stubble and sticks and uh, flakes of stuff off of rocks it's amazing and they reproduce very quickly they are dumb and they're timid they get lost easily they fall prey to predators readily if a wolf comes they just hold still like okay bite me here They have no sense of direction, and that's why God calls Christians sheep. They need shepherds, or they go astray. Sheep produce so much wool and lanolin, the two unique things we get from sheep, that they must be shorn. This is interesting. You've got an animal that when it's created, it's created, so people have to take care of it, and if they don't, it dies. That means that sheep have a never-ending succession of people shearing them ever since creation. Think about that. The lanolin is like a thick oil. And so when dirt attaches itself, it doesn't fall off. It just accumulates. And pretty soon they're like lugging around 100 pounds of wool and dirt. They have to be shorn. Otherwise they get infected and all kinds of nasty things happen. And... The wool then is then processed and makes all kinds of nice wintry coats and socks and scarves and hats and all those things they make out of wool. It's a great material. And not only that, you have lanolin. Lanolin is like this really cool oil. It's used for lotions. It's used in a lot of baby products and seems to have no allergic effects like hardly anybody. And it's used in cosmetics so women can look more beautiful than God created them. And all these things come because God made sheep. Camels are another animal. And we don't, you know, we aren't very familiar with camels. I mean, we know what they are, but we don't have to deal with them day to day. But they, they provide many of the same products as sheep and cows. But they have other remarkable qualities. They can drink 30 gallons of water in 10 minutes without dying. And they absorb it all. And you know where they store it? Not in their humps. They store it in their blood. God made camel blood so that the cells of camels, the blood cells, expand to over three times their original size. And that's how they store all that water, in their blood. Isn't that amazing? Camels can survive 20 days in the hot desert without drinking water. And because they have a hump or humps, Fat is stored in there so they can draw nutrients from their humps and water from their blood. And they go without eating and drinking for a long time, which makes them perfect desert animals. They have eyelashes that are the envy of every woman. (laughs) And special nostrils that help them breathe in sandstorms. 
their digestive system is so efficient that it extracts almost all the water. And when their dung comes out, it's almost perfectly dry and can be used for fuel for fires immediately. Camels can survive dehydration better than any other kind of animal. It's amazing. And time would fail us if we talked about the goats and the yaks and the other kinds of cattle that are very useful and provide man with many blessings. But God created the cattle and he created them specifically knowing man would take care of them, breed them, and be blessed by many products that would be produced and labor that they would provide for man. Secondly, God created creeping things. Look at the middle of verse 24. It says, creeping things. And verse 25 repeats this, saying, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. The word creeping in this text describes a method or movement of locomotion and describes creatures that move closely to the ground. Their bellies or their bodies are kind of close to the ground. So a lot of the insects and spiders and, and little creatures and and lizards and reptiles, turtles, uh, dinosaurs, things like this would all fit into this category. Now, I just think, you know, and it'd be great if we just had time, we could watch all these video clips and kind of just think about this and just look at it. Think about all the different kinds of reptiles in the world. I mean, think about all their shapes and sizes. There are 23,000 different kinds of reptiles that are cataloged. There are some 5,000 different kinds of lizards and 2,000 different kinds of geckos. Geckos. You have the Komodo dragon is the world's largest lizard reaching lengths of 10 feet and weighing 150 pounds. The world's smallest Lizard is found in uh, the Caribbean islands. It is three quarters of an inch long and can curl up on a dime. There's the Gia monster, a Gia monster, uh, the world's, uh, uh, not the world's, but the United States' largest um, native reptile with a poisonous bite that rivals the neurotoxin of a coral snake. You have the King Cobra, which grows to a length of 18 feet. That's like as long as a pickup truck, a full-size one. Seven milliliters or two-tenths of an ounce of cobra venom can kill 20 people. That is one bad snake. It can flare out its neck, and it can appear larger than it actually is. And if you've ever heard one hiss, it's bone-chilling. It's like a hiss and a growl of a dog together, just to... This is like, whoa. It's like, that's not supposed to come out of a snake. Cobras are the only snakes that create a nest, lay their eggs in the nest, and then hang around that nest, guarding the eggs until they hatch. And then there are various kinds of geckos, which are just so cool. Geckos can run up a vertical polished piece of glass at one meter per second. They can hang by one toe on glass. Think about that. You say, well, how do they do that? You know, scientists would love to be able to create what God did. They would love to be able to make gecko hands. You could be like Spider-Man. You know, I mean, it would be easy. If you can go up glass, you can go up anything. Well, how does it work? Well, they look under a microscope and they find out that the average gecko 
foot has 1 billion hairs that are 200 nanometers long and wide. Now we say, well, what is that? Well, a human hair is 100,000 nanometers in diameter. That means these little hairs on their feet are 5,000 times smaller than human hairs. They are so small, they latch onto atoms. Not molecules, atoms. Think about that. They figure if a gecko, one of the little tiny geckos, if they could... If they latched all their hairs on at one time, they could support 280 pounds. A lizard. A little tiny lizard. It's amazing. And then you have the chameleons. Geckos can, some of the geckos can change color just like chameleons can. They're amazing reptiles. They change colors. I mean, you, you put them on a plaid thing and plaid. I mean, how do you tell yourself to plaid up? I mean, how does that work? I don't know. They just know. A lot of, some chameleons have eyes that go, can look in, in multiple directions. You know, they can look forwards and backwards simultaneously. Could you imagine? How does your brain process that one? And look in two places at once. They can do it. They can do it. Some have horns. Some are bright orange. They capture their prey with long sticky tongues that are longer than their body. And they do it with lightning speed. They have special claws that grip branches and tails that hold on. And they're very slow moving. But man, when they see a bug come by, they can just nab that thing. It's like it disappears. If you don't watch it in slow motion, the bugs there, gone. And you see them chewing. The largest chameleon is the Parsons chameleon. It grows to be about 18 inches the size of a cat. The smallest chameleon is the pygmy chameleon, which grows to a mere half inch in length. There are some 270 kinds of turtles in the world. There's the giant Galapagos tortoises that can weigh up to 900 pounds, reach 6 feet in length, and live to almost 200 years. And then there is the smallest tortoise, the two-inch speckled cape tortoise found in western South Africa. And consider all the dinosaurs. The largest carnivorous dinosaur is the Spinosaurus, a little bit bigger than a Triranosaurus rex. Now, if you, you, we all know that, especially from the you know, Jurassic Park movie. Nobody likes T-Rexes. I mean, we all like them. We just don't want to see a live one. They have big teeth. They're scary looking. Spinosaurus, bigger than that. Bigger than that. Probably the most vicious of all the carnivorous dinosaurs is the Utah raptor, 20 feet long, equipped with huge claws for ripping meat and weighed some 1,500 pounds. You wouldn't want to encounter a Utah raptor going for a walk in the desert. The largest sauropod, Argentinosaurus, grows up to lengths of 120 feet. That's 20 feet longer than a blue whale. And weighing over 100 tons. A lizard. A single vertebra on a large sauropod of this kind is over 4 feet in diameter. Just one vertebra. Think about that. 
Now, what's amazing is the Bible speaks of this baby. Job 40. Turn there. The Bible gives it a different name. Of course, it doesn't use the modern taxonomy or whatever for it. But the Bible calls it the behemoth. See, most people are brainwashed by the lies of evolution. They assume that dinosaurs lived way before man. But the fact is they were created on the same day as man. And man and dinosaurs coexisted together. Job chapter 40 verses 15 through 24 reads this. Behold now the behemoth which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now his strength is in his loins, his power is in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is first in the ways of God. Let his maker bring him, bring near his sword. Surely mountains bring him food. And the beasts of the field play there. Under the lotus plants he lies down in the co- Covered of the reeds and the marsh. The lotus plants cover him with shade. The willows of the brook surround him. If a river rages, he is not alarmed. He is confident though the Jordan rushes to his mouth. Can anyone capture him when he is on his watch with barbs? Can anyone pierce his nose? And the implied answer is no, no. Way too big. In study Bibles that have been influenced by evolution, sometimes you see a little footnote there. You look in the footnote and it says the hippopotamus. They say this because hippos do eat grass like ox, are big and strong, and live in wet places. But there's a problem with this description. The behemoth is described with terms that can't be referring to a hippopotamus. Verse 17 says he bends his tail like a cedar. Now, if you're not up on your dendrology, your study of trees, let me just tell you about cedars. According to the Tyndale Bible Dictionary, the cedar, quote, is a noble tree, the tallest and most massive with which the Israelites were acquainted. It grows quite rapidly, attaining a height of up to 120 feet with a trunk, the diameter as much as eight feet. Have you ever seen the tail of a hippopotamus? It's like a little rope hanging down there, not a cedar. But if you look at the skeletons of you know, Diplodoca, Supersaurus, Brachiosaurus, and the Argentinosaurus, they have tails that are literally like cedars. Job is describing a dinosaur that he was familiar with. God is talking to him about it. Job chapter 40 verse 19 says he is first in the ways of God. Before we learned about the Leviathan, which God goes on to speak of, the behemoth is the largest land creature that God made and the Leviathan was the largest sea creature that God made. Job 40 verse 23 says, if a river rages, he is not alarmed. He is confident though the Jordan rushes to his mouth. The Jordan is a huge river. You can get the Jordan at flood stage and that creature can walk out there and go, no biggie. It's not washing me away. I weigh a hundred tons. And the river is never going to get so large I can't get my head out of the water because I can stretch it out there 60 feet above the ground. I mean, think of the ceiling here. You know, we got a ceiling that's what, 30, 35 feet tall? Twice that height. That's a big lizard. And then we could talk about the amazing world of insects and I played that video just so you could see the colors. Did you see all the colors? Did you see all the shapes? Did you see all the designs? Did you see how many bugs there are? I mean, that was just like, that was just a fragment of all the cool ones that are out there. There's 
Tons of them, literally. And spiders, I thought we could do a spider video and all everybody would be grossed out and shading. My wife didn't even want to look at the tarantula. There are over 12,000 kinds of ants in the world. The largest is an inch and a half long. The smallest being the thief ant that grows to a mere one-sixteenth of an inch. If you get a measuring tape, it's the smallest distance. It's a little over a millimeter. There are leaf cutter ants and army ants and fire ants. There's huge colonies that have amazing tunnel systems and garbage dumps and ventilation shafts. And, and they are so amazing that, that scientists are now studying them because they realize that they can't be improved upon. Their efficiency is so perfect, they're stealing ant colony designs to design cities and buildings. Because they can't be improved upon. They're ultra-efficient. Like the ants have some sort of program knowledge of engineering. Fleas can jump 150 times their body length. That means if you were six foot tall, you could jump 900 feet. Three football fields end to end. Hey, you want to go to downtown LA? Done. (laughs) Be good for rush hour, wouldn't it? Just jump over everybody. Now, there are cool bugs out there. There are the glowworm caterpillar, which just looks like it has this glowing, it does have a glowing green light on it. It's like, what's with that? And fireflies, we all know fireflies, don't you? You need to go back east and look at them. They're cool. You get out of dust, you go out there and you go, what's that? What's that? Whoa, whoa. You know, they're just flying around. Fireflies, man. They're lit up, man. They're cool. We went to New Zealand. We saw cave glowworms. It looks like they have a little tiny LED that's constantly on, like a little bright Bluish white light, and you see them. They just look like stars on the cave. They make little cool threads and hang other little sticky thing threads down there, and bugs fly and see the light, and they go to the light and get stuck in the thread, and the worm eats them. That's cool. That is very cool. There are some 350,000 different kinds of beetles. That's just beetles. Beetles are one of the favorite collecting Things for those who, what is it? Is it entomology or etymology? And one of them. Um, but people who collect bugs. Um, beetles are like the coolest thing to collect because there's 350,000 kinds. You know, could you imagine your wife having you put 350,000 dead beetles in your house? I mean, they're amazing. I, I watched this one video clip that just showed picture after picture after picture of just huge groups of different kinds of beetles. It was fascinating. Every color in the rainbow, every size, every shape, skinny, fat, big horns. I mean, they're just amazing. Every one different, a different habitat, a, de- a different reproduction, just fascinating, huge kinds varieties of beetles the bombardier beetle this you know one of my favorite it lives in mexico the bombardier beetle's cool because it has two different kinds of chemicals inside of it that don't mix when it's inside but when threatened it ejects them both at the same time when they ignite as a chemical reaction and it gets to the temperature of boiling water and scares off their predators i mean imagine having a malfunction on the inside and poof <laughs> the horsefly has been clocked Flying at speeds of 90 miles per hour. Have you ever been bit by a horsefly? It's unpleasant. So don't ever try to outrun them. You cannot. They see really good and they will catch you. You just prepare and get ready for them to land so you can squish them before they latch in. 
Japanese hornets grow to three inches and shoot acid and sting. They have a special hormone, and if they feel like you are a big threat to their hive, they eject this hormone that's so powerful that all the other hornets go, whoo, everybody leave the hive and kill the enemy. And they come after you and try and sting you to death and shoot acid all over you. Happy day. And get this, for every person on earth, for each individual person, there are some 1.5 billion insects. Thankfully, they aren't all in our houses. And if we had more time, we could discuss other creatures such as the smaller mammals and mice and hamsters and moles and gophers and squirrels and hedgehogs and the like. There's so many different kinds of creatures that fit in this category. It's just beyond time to explain that. Moving on. Third, God created the beasts of the earth. Look at verse 24 at the beginning and the beginning of verse 25, uh, which tell us God also created the beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. In verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind. Notice that though the beginning of verse 24 says the earth brought forth living creatures, we are told in verse 25 that God made them. God is the the creator, and the earth just provided the raw materials that God used. It wasn't like the earth popped them forth like evolution said. Leupold and his exposition of Genesis says, quote, God could have called forth these creatures by his mere word. Instead, he speaks the word that enables the earth to bring them forth. They are to have such a kinship with the earth that they may again be able to return to the earth, end quote, just like man. The term bee seems to refer to every other kind of land creature that doesn't fit into the domesticated creatures and those low moving to the ground creatures. This would be things like all the different kinds of cats, lions and leopards and tigers and bobcats and lynx and etc. And all kinds of dogs, you know, uh, dingoes and wolves and jackals and foxes and hyenas. It would include kangaroos and elephants and monkeys and rhinos and pigs and sloths and just all the other kinds of animals that you've ever heard about and, and that don't fit into those other two categories. Just a huge variety, amazing designs and looks Creatures that are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Matthew Henry notes that God, quote, made them all after their kind, not only of diverse shapes, but of diverse natures, manners, food, and fashions. Some to be tame about the house, others to be wild in the fields. Some living upon grass and herbs, others upon flesh. Some harmless, Others ravenous, some bold, others timorous, some for man's service and not his sustenance as the horse. Others for his sustenance and not his service as the sheep. Others for both as the ox and some for neither as the wild beasts. In all this appears the manifold wisdom of the creator, end quote. And finally, the text tells us the end of verse 25. And God said that it was good. But there's more in the sixth day. You'll have to come back. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful to have our opportunity to consider some of the cattle, the domesticated creatures that you made for men specifically to be blessed by, that they would um, grow them, use them, kill them, eat them, use their parts to be blessed by. 
We marvel at the variety of insects and spiders that you have made. What a huge assortment and so many shapes and sizes and colors that it just boggles the imagination. Each one designed differently with different reproduction, different habitats, different methods of locomotion, all perfectly designed by you. And then the beasts of the field from cheetahs to lions and rhinos and elephants and monkeys and so many other creatures that move swiftly above the ground rather than next to the ground. And Father, you have made all these things so that we would see them, so that we would marvel at them and marvel at you who created them. So that when we eat butter and ice cream and yogurt, when we enjoy the leather cover on our Bibles and our leather shoes and so many other products we receive from animals that we would praise you and thank you that you provided us these animals that we might be blessed through their various parts. And Father, we do want to praise you and thank you for being such a great creator. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.